Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we're talking about March's book club pick, which was The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. I know exactly zero of Becca's takes on this, so I'm excited to discover them alongside all of you. I brought takes. Oh, yay. Okay, let's get into highs and lows first. Mm-hmm. What is your high? Um, my high is that last night I had drinks with my book editor and I got to meet her in person for the first time in this whole process. That's exciting. It was so exciting. I was like frothing at the mouth to be her friend. Like I was <laughs> so thirsty for her friendship. And I loved her. I like I really, really adored her, even absent her being my editor. And I feel like so much of the process so far has really focused on me. Because, you know, in the sales process, you're selling yourself. And then, you know, we're working on my book together. And, like, I just feel like the road was – it wasn't a one-way, but it it just, like, I don't know as much about her. So it was very nice to to have drinks and get to know her. Oh, nice. So she's visiting New York? No, she lives here. Oh, she lives here. Oh. She lives here. I think just because the – process after my book's acquisition was so condensed, we very much were like directly into edits. And so one of us had the draft and was working very intensively on it. And now that I've mostly finished, we we I turned in my copy edits. And so now there's just two rounds of pass pages. I feel like we both can have breathing room. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a little yeah. more fun, not so yeah. businessy. Yeah. Cool. That sounds nice. What's your high? My high is that (laughs) this feels really kind of silly, but a year ago and like a year ago and a week now, Jake and I decided to give up Seamless and Uber Eats food delivery for a year. We did it this month is a year. No delivery through COVID, through through it all. (laughs) So go us. You are a superstar. I (laughs) I don't know about that. I cannot fathom that. Yeah, I couldn't either, honestly. It was like it was literally like my emotional crutch. I was like bad day, I'm having food delivered to me. Yep. And to be clear, there's nothing wrong with doing that whatsoever, <laughs> but we wanted to save a little bit of money, so that's what we did. And honestly, it was very good timing because I haven't checked, but I don't think there are many delivery options out here. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you now keep going because you don't have anywhere that has Seamless or Uber Eats near you? It prepared us. I haven't checked, but if I had to guess, there's probably like one lone Domino's. So it worked out. But yeah. Oh, man. You have the the willpower, the strength of a, I don't know, what's something with a lot of willpower or strength? <laughs> I don't either. I wanted to say wildebeest, but I think it's only because you have the willpower willpower. of a wildebeest. Thank you so much. (laughs) What's on the low docket? My low is so we had this dinner reservation that was an hour away over the weekend and totally lost track of time, was just covered in filth from doing work all day. And realized that we had to get leave the house in like 25 minutes. So I had to shower and get right. Re- I hate being rushed, by the way. This is the thing about me. I don't know if you know. I hate being rushed. It I didn't know that It sends about me you. into a – I guess most people don't like being rushed, but I feel like it particularly bothers me. But um, anyway, and then I couldn't find anything to wear. Everything fit wrong. I hated how everything looked. Have you ever just had that like yes. moment – And then Jake's rushing me out the door. I'm like breathing heavily, like crying. I'm like, I can't figure it out. He's like, you look fine. Just throw something on. And I was like, no, like screaming at him, throwing things. It's anyway, we got there only five minutes late and it was wonderful. But I just, I'm, you've been there. You get it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like I have this at least once a month, either I hate my body or I hate my clothes and just anything you put on. You're like, how have I ever gotten dressed in the history of my life? Yeah, I'm like, burn it all. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly that. But, you know, it passed. We're feeling better now. Good. Oh, no. What is your low? <laughs> I oh, I know your low. <laughs> I did something bad yesterday. I did something I shouldn't have done. I 
fell into a Reddit hole reading bad things about myself, which I know you have recently written a newsletter about. (laughs) Oh, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. It was stupid. (sighs) So basically, the reason it happened was yesterday morning, I woke up and I was reading all of the very nice comments about our last episode, the obscure erotica episode on Facebook. And people seem to really like it. And I ran out of nice comments to read. And I think, I think internally, I was going to seek out more positive validation. I was like, I I think I'm going to win the internet today. And so I moseyed (laughs) on over to Reddit, assuming that there would be a string of equally glowing praise. There was not. (laughs) Um, They quite didn't like it. And then they had some comments about the descent of the podcast overall. And so then I, you know, went back to January reading all of the threads about what people had been saying. And I felt really shitty. And I don't know, I guess, look, like, it's a good lesson for me to learn, especially as I get ready to launch a book into the world. Like, don't go looking for feedback about yourself because you might not like what you find. And, you know, I I feel really lucky that I have you and Grace in my life who can relate to these things and and commiserate. I was talking to Grace about it and I was like, she was being empathetic and telling me all the reasons why it didn't matter. And I was saying to her, and I I need to like tattoo this on my arm. This isn't something I usually struggle with. So this was like out of my norm. But I was like, it's not the stove's job not to burn me. It's like my job not to touch the stove. And I just went in like palm out and slapped it on a burner and I should have fucking done it. Yeah, I have been there. But I think one thing about it is you're right. Like it's our responsibility not to look at that stuff and not to seek it out. But I think it is completely human nature to do so. (laughs) Like... I always talk to Jake, like, if you knew that there was, a, like, some random strangers on the internet, two of them, three of them, whatever, talking about you, wouldn't you, like, feel the urge to look it up even though you know you shouldn't? And he's like, yeah, I guess I would. Anyway, my point is give yourself a break a little bit because I think it's natural. Yeah. But so, it sucks. I get it. It sucks. It sucks. It also – it kind of fucks with you mentally of – Am I creating what I want to create or am I reacting to other people's interpretations or reactions of what I'm creating? I don't know. It, it's mm-hmm. like not good creative headspace to be in. So hopefully lesson learned. Yeah, it's not. I found that the good stuff and the bad stuff doesn't help <laughs> in either direction. But I, I mean, I love the good stuff. I I love I feel like I got so many positive DMs and there was so much in the Facebook group. Because, you know, sometimes we're recording and there's not an audience that we can see. So you can't get those in-the-minute reactions to be like, oh, people are laughing. People like this. Or you're like, am I bombing? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, you really just have to own what you like. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's nice to hear when people like it. You're like, oh, great. I'm on the right track. But, you know, I think it's impossible to create content that everyone likes. Like, no matter what you put out in the world. Like, some people will like it. Some people will dislike it. And... I don't know. I have to remember that. Absolutely. It's more important what I think about it. It is. Am I proud of my clippy erotica (laughs) episode? Oddly, I think the answer is yes. You know, so many people said that they were laughing out loud and it like really just made them laugh a ton. And I mean, how many moments in this world can we just spend an hour laughing at something silly? I I think job job well done, you know? True. And, it, and it's okay if it's not for everyone. There are a lot of other podcasts people can choose from. Absolutely. Anyway, onward. Should we talk about this book? Yes. Let's do it. We can I start can, with um, – oh, go ahead. I wrote the world's worst plot summary so I can read it and own that this was me. The book is quite hard I'm, to summarize because it has so many POVs. It does. So I didn't try. Okay, so The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich, this one's book club pick. The book covers the fallout after each person in the world is delivered a box containing a string that corresponds to the length of their life. The story is told through eight different POVs following a group of people in New York City who are all connected to 
so-called short stringers who have found out that they will die prematurely, and then a second group of people who are all connected to an upcoming U.S. presidential election. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this book club was my pick, and I read this last year, and I really liked it, and I thought there was so much to talk about within all of the themes, but... Becca, what did you think? I know it's not your usual genre. Yeah, it's not, but it's not something I would dislike. It's not scary in any way. Right. Well, I mean, first of all, I can see why you picked it. It's such a good discussion book. I can also see why so many listeners said that they they did it in their book club and then why it was picked for, I think it was a Read with Jenna pick for like a national book club. It was, yeah. I ended up liking it but not loving it. And – there's there's two reasons why I, I I think that is. So the first reason is completely not this book's fault. And so I feel bad leveling this against the book. The first reason is Pedro Pascal's fault. The first reason is because of The Last of Us episode three, the only episode of The Last of Us that I watched, the gay love episode with Nick Offerman and Maury Bartlett. And I oh, feel man. like there's kind of a similarity in terms of um, the world has been thrown into this unprecedented situation that has affected our lives. And what does love look like in this new world? And I feel like that episode's portrayal was so deep and so rich and so wonderful and so meaningful that this book felt flatter in comparison. That makes sense. Yeah. So I feel like if I had read this book when it came out last summer, I I wouldn't have had that in my head and I wouldn't be thinking about it. Um, But having just watched that like a month ago, it's all I could think about. I did not make that parallel at all because I also watched the episode and loved it. And I just re-listened to the whole audiobook of The Measure. But now that you're saying it, I totally get it. So that was one of my unfair critiques. (laughs) <laughs> that has nothing to do with the book. And then my my more fair critique is I found this book has such a great premise. It has such a good setup of the strings, what that means. But it, you find out on page one the setup, and it doesn't evolve in any way. Like I kept waiting for something else to happen. And I was comparing it to Project Hail Mary in my head where, you know, at the beginning we know that there's something wrong. We know that – The world is ending and then they discover more and more and more and it changes and, you know, the situation evolves versus this was really – the situation is what it is on page one and then the arc is really at the character level, which is fine, but because it's eight POVs, like I just found something slightly unsatisfying. Yeah. You know, I totally get that. I didn't realize this until I listened to it, but do you know what I think would have changed – all of those problems with it. What? Is if it was first person instead of multi-POV third person. Oh, interesting. I get why it was multi-POV third person because it's like it allows you to show a range of experiences with this in terms of people who have short strings, people who have long strings, people who are affected by different um, different facets of it. So I got that. But I wish I, – I, Yeah. I, I wish – I get it. Yeah. I wish we found out more about the strings or maybe like what they thought at first was wrong. I wish the information was doled out in a different way. Yeah. I understand that. I, I think one of my original main takeaways about the book was I really liked it. It made me cry at the end. I thought it was I did well too. done. But I thought that in general, some of it was a little heavy-handed. Mm. <laughs> and I think if it had been – first person it would have been much more difficult I think to like tell the whole experience Mm, and like different decisions of the strings but I think it would have been like much deeper instead of I think some of it though all of it is really great to talk about and think about in relation to our own lives which is why I think it's such a good book club book but I think some of it kind of came across as like a little bit like platitudes sort of or like I see that this is what this means Having said that, it was really interesting to see all of the different experiences in detail. So yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. We have a voicemail from a listener who flat out 
did not like it. Let's listen to that. Hi, Becca and Olivia. So about the Measure Book Club, I really wanted to love it. Like I mentioned, I had a hard time following all the characters, and especially the sense of place for me was really hard to connect with. But the biggest thing is how come they don't explain where the strings come from? How can you go through this entire book and just pretend that nobody really cares where they come from and you never solve that? It was really hard for me to kind of get over that. All right. Thanks. Okay. Is it stupid for me to say that they totally pulled one over on me and I wasn't even thinking about where the strings came from? I kind of just let that go. But now that I hear this voicemail, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is unsatisfying. Yeah, that was the one like, I guess, more direct critique I had too. But that's kind of an interesting thing because it's like this book is not sci-fi because if it was, then it would have to explain <laughs> the string. So instead it's like this weird genre in between mm-hmm. <laughs> where there's no science. You would get into like lost territory where like it, it's kind <laughs> of unwinnable. Well, what could they Where say? did they come I mean, from? Jacob. If <laughs> There was like a new chapter and it was like, turned on the news and actually it's aliens but moving on to the love story i mean it's really hard to like kind of work that back in um but i get the frustration but also it made me think like how would the world react they didn't really talk about the fact that no one knew where they came from and so it made me wonder like what do you think people would do if we just didn't know like i guess everyone would have their theories which they talk about but I feel like it would drive the world completely mad yeah, if we no, had no I agree. explanation. I agree. Right? But then I guess we'd have to live with it. Like they I did. feel like there would be, I don't know if it is QAnon or another entity along those lines. I, I just feel like there would be so many potentially competing conspiracy theories because I mean in this one there was no kind of implied place that it came from. I don't know. Yeah interesting complete societal breakdown if in the screen adaptation they're gonna have to answer it because i feel like tv movie i don't know what's happening with this viewers would would lose their minds with no explanation in a book you can kind of let it go i think i'm picturing like little Um, gremlins like scurry up to the door and like (laughs) deposit it it's one of those things that it's like lost like once you keep thinking about it it's just it unravels real fast your brain breaks (laughs) So if you received your box Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the book, would you open it? Absolutely. I I think I would open it in the first 48 hours. I think I I might not open it immediately because of a fear of anthrax or some kind of like poison agent. So I, I don't know that I would have opened it immediately had I seen the news coverage. But there is absolutely no way that I could I could know that it existed and keep myself from opening it. So whether or not I wanted to, and I think I would want to know, but I would not be able to keep myself from looking. What about like would your answer change at the end of the book? Say you no, it's been a year since the box has arrived. No. You turn twenty two and it shows up. No, and I feel like them trying to convince that everyone learned that they didn't need to look. I was like, I would not be that way. <laughs> I Gosh, would you it would be look so hard? Like if it was the first day and it showed mm-hmm. up on my doorstep, yeah. And I I would open it. Like if I walked outside my door right now and there was a box with no letter, I would open it. And then I'd panic afterwards, thinking I had just anthraxed myself or whatever. Sure, sure. But I don't know. I think that if like it was a year later. I think I would be able to resist opening it if I like, for example, if Jake was like, I agree, we agree, we won't look at them. But the second I had some sort of a health scare, oh, I'd be I'd be opening up that box. Yeah. If you like confirm what the TikTok told me about my my rare disease. Which yeah. actually kind of proves the point that you shouldn't look because it wouldn't really tell you anything. I actually thought that was one of the most disturbing aspects of it as I got further in the book, the idea that like you would have a short string, but you wouldn't have any disease that you knew about. So you just have to sit and wait like that would that would destroy me. It would destroy me. That that is interesting. Yeah, I thought that that was really interesting, too. 
And I thought also the nuance about just because you have a long string doesn't mean that you can't be physically maimed. Right. You know, like you could be in a coma for 40 of those years. Yeah. This is exactly why this will be, if it is going to be a show, would be the perfect show because there are like 150,000 scenarios that come from this one thing that could be endlessly like thought-provoking. I agree. I I always thought this would be better as a TV show than it was as a book, actually. I think I agree with that. I think I agree with it. We'll we'll talk about that more later. Should we play a voicemail that a listener sent us about what they would do with their string? Hey, Becca and Olivia. My answer is that I wish I was the type of person that could tell you honestly that I wouldn't look at it, but I would absolutely need to. I just like to have all the information in my life. I like to know worst case scenario, need to be able to plan. So I'd absolutely look at it. I wish I was cooler than that, but I'm just not. So Olivia, I I don't want to wish this on you, but if you found out that you were a short stringer, which is kind of the scenario that a lot of people in this book find themselves in, or they love somebody who's a short stringer. Okay. If you had a year left, how would you change your life? And then what if you had like 10 to 15 years kind of akin to Ben? Ugh. I feel like the 10 to 15 is almost more difficult in a way. But okay, if I had a year left, I think I would Oh gosh, it's so hard. I think I would take six months and go somewhere that makes me like very happy. Maybe Mm. probably the beach somewhere near the water. And I would just spend every day reading, writing with Jake, with Winnie. Then the the last six months, I think I would go. Oh, you would still be writing. Would you be writing about your personal experience like a newsletter or would you be writing a book? I think I'd have to write about my personal experience. Like I can't imagine going through anything difficult and not writing about it. Like it would – I think it would destroy me not to. Okay. I think I would also probably feel like this sense of like needing to leave something behind, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then the last six months I think I would just probably go be with my family or – and just kind of try to like – live life normally, if you will, like, and appreciate all of those small things. I hope, I think, I don't know. I don't think there's like any place that I would feel I have to see or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I would feel content. Um, 10 to 15. As I said, I think that would be the more difficult one. Maybe I would travel a little more, but I think in general, I would live pretty similarly to how I do now. And probably just stop sweating the small stuff so much. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's not really groundbreaking. But what about you? Okay. First, we'll start with one year. You have one year to live. Okay. I have one year to live. I stopped writing my book, first of all. I've already written one book. It'll come out. I'll leave that legacy. I don't think I'm going to complete the second book or be able to see it come out within a year. So like that's done. I keep the podcast. We keep talking. I think it would be interesting to like have some kind of documentation. It wouldn't need to be written for me. I think I would kind of go on three big trips, maybe like a month each. So like for the first six months, I do like a month of travel on, a month of travel off. I'd want to go to Southeast Asia to like that trip that I was going to do in 2018 and I had to cancel. Like I I would definitely – like I feel like if I had to pick one place to go, I've always wanted to go to Bali. So I feel like I would like mm. do that, but I'd like to do a broader Southeast Asia trip and and go to Siem Reap and, and Cambodia to see Bangkok, go to the beaches in Thailand. I've always wanted to go to Vietnam. So I would do like a Southeast Asia trip for a month, come home. I'd go to Europe for a month and, and just kind of go to all my favorite European cities for maybe, you know, four or five nights each. I'd go to London. I'd... Rome, maybe, or Florence. I don't know which. I'd pick one. I always loved Vienna. Maybe I'd go to Vienna again. I'd love to go to Lisbon again. You know, just pick places that I've been that I really liked that I want to experience again. Come home. I think I'd I'd take like a weird ass trip. Like I've always wanted to go to Madagascar. Oh, okay. I don't know. Like there's so much plant life and animal life that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Like I just want to go blow my mind, you know? Yeah. So I'd go there. uh, As you're saying this, it's making me think 
one thing I think I should add is that I would run every credit card I have into absolute oblivion. Yeah, which is something for they sure. didn't touch on in the book. Like, how is that working with like for the sure. banking system? Because isn't everyone just Yeah. And then in the last six months, I think that I'd reevaluate, see if there was anywhere else that I was like, oh yeah, I, I want to do this too. But if not, I think I'd I'd stay closer to home. And I think I'd maybe do like two weeks on, two weeks off and just go visit everyone in my life that I loved, you know, and spend mm-hmm. a couple weeks with them. Yeah. And like get quality time. So I think it would very much be about like travel and spending time with people I love. I have a question for you. Yeah. If you got to the end of your year or your 15 years, uh-huh. which you're going to answer in a minute, yeah, and you didn't have any foreseeable idea what was going to happen, would you be one of those people that does like the assisted yeah, I think I yeah. might. I, I think the I, – I had not thought of it, but I think the burden of looking around every corner because you thought you were going to be hit by a car or it may – like in a tr- like a terrible accident would be too much. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Give me what would you be doing if you had 10 to 15 years? Okay. So I think I'd be living – like I would still keep writing the book I'm writing. I think I would – hopefully have a better, looser attitude about everything of like, if it doesn't come easily, fuck it and like move on to something else because life's short. I think I would also have a looser relationship to like deadlines or pressure, like whatever. So yeah, I I would, I would keep living my day-to-day life. I would definitely be more thoughtful about travel because I think it's the inverse of, I would be more thoughtful about doing the things I wanted to do, spending time I wanted to spend, how I wanted to spend it, because I would be less thoughtful about money. You know, like who cares about right. retirement? You're not, you're not lasting. Who cares about buying a house? You're like, you're not going to live in it that long. So, you know, I think that I would be less fiscally responsible, which would give me more outlet to splash out on these things that right now I might think twice about just being like, should you go to Southeast Asia for a month this year? Like I could, you should. I encourage it. But yeah, I know. I what you could, mean. but it's like, should I take a, a month off from doing work? Should I spend however much money that costs? So yeah, I, I think I would just have a looser relationship with money and achievement. Same. Shall we take an ad break? Yeah. I feel kind of like messed up from thinking about this. It's that's like same. The more you think about it, the more it hurts your brain. It is like lost. Now that you brought up the lost comparison, not, it's not even that way, but just like thinking about my own life and that forced reflection of like how you should be living your life. Yeah, I kind of wonder like, is the message that you should be living like a short stringer or that you should be living like a long stringer or that it doesn't matter? I don't think you should be living like a one-year short stringer. You're going to get to the end of the year. You're going to be in like financial ruin and you're going to be like, what do I do next year? First Um, class to Southeast Asia, here we come. But maybe you should be living like you have 10 to 15 years. But then again, if you're like not – if you're living like you have 10 to 15 years and you have 40 years, then do you like kind of fuck yourself over? Financially? depends. Financially, maybe – career and prospects wise I don't know I mean I I liked how Ben and Amy did it I thought they were my favorite of the we can get into that later but maybe the trick is that you live like you're a short stringer and that you're just constantly being surprised that you have another (laughs) you have another chunk of time but I feel like the abandon the you know the financial repercussions the I don't know like I feel like the two are mutually exclusive. Like you can't live that way. Right. And then be like, oh, I have another year. Well, it kind of reminds me of in the book when they're talking about how there's this, I could be getting this slightly wrong, but it's something related to drugs, I think, and how it's Mm -hmm. like a bunch of long stringers who are like, oh, I'm going to live forever. So I'm just going to do a bunch of drugs. And then a bunch of short stringers who are like, fuck it, who cares? (laughs) Yeah. And so maybe the point is that, like, if you're not making decisions for the right reasons, you're going to approach the same problems anyway. I don't know. Maybe. Let's take this ad break. (laughs) 
So full transparency, you know one of my goals this year is to grow the podcast. So we're doing some cross-promo ads with another similar podcast that we think you might enjoy. And honestly, this is one of the easiest things for me to recommend because it, it legitimately is one of my favorite podcasts. So wanted to give a plug again for you to check out A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, hosted by Claire Mazer and Erica Cerullo. The two hosts are longtime best friends and business partners, and their show has like a fun, chatty vibe that I think will remind you a lot of ours. They cover a myriad of topics from romance books, and they're also huge fans of the idea of you, by the way, to snack foods, to lots of talk about shopping. They recently talked about these gum sole Adidas, I think. That could be wrong. And now I'm on a mission to find them in pink. They're nowhere to be found. But anyway, they inspired me. They used to run a company called Of A Kind that stocked an incredible range of goods from indie designers. And they have such an encyclopedia of knowledge for cool, under-the-radar brands selling everything from the perfect t-shirt to the coolest kids' clothes to unique jewelry and home goods. I honestly think of them as the slightly more polished, put-together version of us. And one of my all-time favorite episodes that they did a few years back when Claire was newly pregnant, they discussed Claire's path to realizing that she wanted to have children and Erica's choice to remain child-free and how they wanted to navigate their friendship given the imminent change in configuration with Claire having a baby. And it was such an open and honest conversation about best friendship and motherhood, and it has stuck with me for literal years. The episode is called On Choosing and Not Choosing Motherhood, and we'll link it in the show notes, or you could go back and find it in their archives from August of 2018. The episode Becca mentioned could be a great place to start, or if you want something lighter, their episode from two weeks ago has a discussion of the newest Magic Mike movie, which is pretty great. It's the perfect mix of serious and less serious topics. So if you're looking to add a new podcast to your lineup, give A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica a listen. Again, that's A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, and it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. So you kind of already alluded to this. What character or storyline was your favorite? I loved the Ben and Amy story. It kind of gave me rom-com vibes in a way Mm -hmm. because it was so completely far-fetched that everything would work out the way that it did. But I thought it was really sweet and meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? My favorite was for most of the book, it was Nina and Mora, where she was a long stringer and then her partner was a short stringer. There was a moment where Ben and Amy pulled into the lead, specifically when they met for the first time in real life and they didn't know that they had been sending each other letters yet. And I was that part I really, really loved. But then I got really frustrated with her specifically and her waffling over whether or not she wanted to be with him. And so Mm. there was like a moment in there where they were my favorite, but then they they pulled back uh, into second place. It's understandable. I also really liked the Hank storyline, actually. Mm -hmm. It kind Mm -hmm. of, you forget it towards the end, but I liked the idea that they weren't just featuring couples. Mm -hmm. Which was your least favorite? I really strongly did not care for the election plotline. I understand why it was included. I think there would be butterfly effects into politics. And I think that that that's like a really great illustration of what would happen if this scenario happened in real life. But I just found that I didn't particularly care about that plot line. Yeah. I don't know. This is another example for me of how they could have included bits of that if it was first person from like one perspective without it being like such a huge part. But yeah, I didn't really connect with it either. Like it all made sense to me. It felt realistic to how things would actually happen, but I wasn't attached to it at all. Yeah. Let's listen to a a listener voicemail who has a question for us. Hi, Olivia and Becca. This is Isabel calling in from Bremerton, Washington. The main, I guess, idea that I wanted to bring up that I'm hoping you guys can discuss on the podcast is how this book relates to COVID. I just think that there's so many commonalities between what happened in our society because of COVID-19 and because of what happened in the measure because of the strings. Like, for example, 
just within COVID, like when masks were mandated in certain areas, and obviously people had many opinions on, you know, whether they wanted to wear masks and which people were going to follow the rules and which people weren't and how that varied, like, based on the state that you lived in. And I think that that has a lot of similarities to people deciding not to open their boxes to see their string length and kind of, like, making decisions based on the length of their string and also, like, making judgments about people because they choose to look at their string or to not look at their string or if they did look at their string, if they have a short string. Anyways, I hope that theme makes sense. Would love to hear you two discuss it. So I obviously noticed this too. I I went on this like rabbit hole search to figure out when the author started writing this book. I did too. <laughs> yeah, she started writing it before COVID, which was actually super interesting. And I, I wonder how far along in the process she was and how much of it changed because of it. Because there's obviously some like very direct allusions to things that are happening in government, in society, like especially when there was like a mention of somebody selling strings online. I was thinking about like when like people were selling vaccination cards online. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder how much of it was like written or how much of it changed as a result. Yeah. She said it was even a coincidence that it was March. Yeah. And I was like, it's, yeah, yeah. Hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. So I totally see the connection to COVID, but I guess I was thinking of it more as an allegory for any type of discrimination to get like, you know, if you're like a cis white man, for instance, how do you internalize the idea of any kind of discrimination? And it's like, you know, all of these people, no matter what their race, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what, like, you know, all of a sudden being in a, the position of being discriminated against because of something you can't control, your your short string. Like, I, I thought that was a really powerful allegory for just any kind of, like, discrimination or bias to get somebody mm -hmm. to put themselves into their shoes in a way that I feel like anyone can can kind of grasp. So I was yeah. thinking of that way more than more than COVID. But I definitely see where the parallel comes in. I don't know. What were you thinking? Yeah, I'm I'm more with you than seeing it as an exact representation of COVID. I guess it more just made me think about all the things you said, but then this idea that like the short stringers at a certain point were feared, which I thought was a really good analogy to how marginalized groups are sometimes treated like the like people feel threatened by them in some way and blame larger societal issues on them in a way that is both completely inaccurate and problematic on a larger scale. But yeah, I, I guess I didn't see the COVID stuff as much, especially not when I first read it, but I definitely understand. Yeah. And I, also I, I thought, you know, Another interesting couple of details where the short stringers were talking about how the onus of creating change was on them, where it's like, we're yes. already dealing with so much and now the onus of change is on us. So I was relating that very much to a lot of the conversations that were happening around the Black Lives Matter movement and after George Floyd was killed. And then also the conversation when Nina was thinking about care in hospitals and if short stringers would be discriminated against, like I thought she does directly relate it to Maura being a black woman. But, you know, I yeah. thought that th there were many more parallels to racial discrimination or discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation than there were necessarily to like COVID and people's decision to get vaccinated or not. But I see both. Yeah. Someone in the Facebook group, I think, also posted this recently and said that one group would be like, anti-vaxxers and one group would be like people who are pro-vaccines but I had trouble understanding who is who in that mm. case so yeah how did you feel about like the plot lines that touched on differing string lengths in relationships like were you picturing yourself and Jake if one of you had a long string and one of you had a short string yeah definitely I mean I think it's hard not to <laughs> I mean I think those would be some of the toughest decisions to make I mean, I think I know what I would do. I hope Jake would stay with me and my string was short. But yeah, that was some of the most like gut-wrenching stuff in the book, I think. What did you think about it? Yeah, I agree. I, I can't imagine like the, the plot line is 
Ben's girlfriend dumps him because she finds out he has a short string and, and she's like, I can't do this. Like, I can't imagine being partnered with somebody and if you didn't have pre-existing issues being like, I can't be with you anymore because you have a short string. I could almost see the other side where you sacrificed yourself and you were like, I don't want you yeah. to have to go through this and you like martyred yourself because yeah. of your string length. But yeah, but I definitely think if you were not already together with somebody, like you would think twice about, especially if you wanted children, do I want to have children with somebody who's then going to die in 10 years? How much can love conquer versus that's going to be like completely emotionally destructive to both me and my future children's lives? But at the same time, I mean, I guess the other side of it is like you you go into any relationship not knowing how long it will last. So like, what does it matter at, at some point? If the person's going to die in 10 years, you might not still be together in 10 years. Well, I mean, a good example is the Ben and Amy thing when Amy was like, should I be with this person, have kids with them when they're just going to die in 15 years? And then plot twist, they, spoiler, they both die, which which I did not see coming. Did you see that coming? No, I was actually really glad that happened because I felt like there was almost like a Disneyification of this scenario where like it was right. like very much like it'll all be okay in the end. And there were no like I feel like there would have been really dire, depressing effects of this. And you know, even Hank, who had a the shortest string, jumped in front of a bullet to save people. So like his death had meaning. And I right. I wanted more exploration of the darkness of people for whom it was very unfair and for who it did absolutely suck. So I did like that at the end, Amy died and that there was some glimmer of like the unfairness and the shittiness of the situation too. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that if it hadn't happened, I I think this book right now, I think the book is like four stars for me. And if that hadn't happened, I think it would have easily been like two and a half. Yeah, it was weirdly satisfying how well all the stories like connected. But at the same time, it's like that was all so clean cut that I think it made the fact that you never find out where the strings came from, like even more glaringly annoying kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) and less satisfying. But how did you feel about the portrayal of religion in this book? Well, I think it's natural that if this happened, some people would turn to religion as an explanation. So I feel like it made a lot of sense that it was included. I feel like it was kind of treated pretty dismissively, like nobody had a religious connection. And also, like, the eight POVs were all very much city people. Like, it was – I think everyone was in New York or D.C. So I kind of wanted more representation of, you know, like, what would the rest of America – what would the rest of the world look like? So I feel like it was – it made sense that it was included, but it was maybe, like, kind of downplayed relative to how I think – the impact would be in real life. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I like, I didn't want more of it in the story, but I think real, real life, it would be, it would be pretty much everywhere all the time. (laughs) I also saw some critiques on Goodreads about people who that was one of the reasons they didn't like this book because it was so dismissive of anyone turning towards religion. And they felt that the people who dealt with it through a religious channel were like basically portrayed as crazies. So hmm. and I, it seemed like that was like a critique against the book as well, which I I didn't necessarily feel like, and I'm not coming from a religious background, but I know that was like a sore spot for some people. That's interesting. I actually, the one line that really stuck with me was the thing that Mora had Nina share at Mora's funeral about how like she's always wanted to be the first person to try things. So like she's the first person to see what the afterlife is like was like kind of a message of faith and hope and definitely not (laughs) anti-religion by any means. So that's, I don't know, that's kind of interesting that people felt that way, but I guess I kind of see it. We have another listener voicemail that that brought up a really interesting point. Let's listen to it. Hi, this is Sarah. I love the podcast and I love the book, The Measure. This was one of my favorite lines. What should have been the most intimate, most personal of moments became just another insight into your life that no longer belonged to you alone. End quote. Wow. That just really spoke to me about how social media kind of cheapens everything. I love social media, but I think it needs 
to be put in its proper place. And this line about the act of looking at your string really made me think about the value of having some privacy, some discretion, and how that can just create personal moments. Did this occur to you when you were when you were reading or listening to the book? No, it didn't actually. What about you? No. So I I kind of see what this person is saying because I do think I don't necessarily relate it to social media, but it I I think there was like a commodification of death that was happening because of the strings where it's like, you know, the same way that you plan your wedding. It's like, you can plan for your death now. And I don't know if it's it's positive or negative because I think like death is one of the last great taboos in our society. There's other taboos. I think that was overplaying it. But, you know, <laughs> that, you know, we don't talk about it. We're not comfortable with it. And, you know, knowing when you were going to die, you were almost like planning for it. Yeah. But I don't know that I think of death as special in a way. <laughs> yeah. That it's like, this should be a private moment just for me. So I don't I don't know that I see that side of it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point that I did not think about at all. Yeah. Okay, how did you feel about the ending? I felt good. I, I liked that we got the fast forward and we got to see kind of what the end was like for all of the short stringers because that if it if we hadn't I would have felt unsatisfied. So I really liked the fast forward. I thought it was a little too love actually and cutesy, like how many of them intertwined. Although I guess given that the the storylines were totally separate, it made sense to bring them all together. But like, I didn't really care that Jack met Mora towards the end. Right. Or that like the person that Javi saved was Hank's ex-girlfriend. Like I was like, eh, it feels yeah. like a little too convenient and cutesy. Mm-hmm. Again, I really did like that Amy died. I thought it was stupid that – sorry, this is too, so harsh. I thought it was stupid that it was like the next generation then realized that they didn't want to know about their strings. Like, I don't think that's how human nature works. No. I thought the, I thought the most realistic thing about the end was the, the Bachelorette uh, short string. Oh, my God, yes. Version. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a far more realistic interpretation of how the yes. next generation would react. We'd be yes. like, how can we put this on TikTok? Yeah. How did you feel? I, I get your point, though. Um, I agree with you. Like, it's funny because when I re-listened to this, I did not even remember that the stories intertwined. However, I thought that it was, like, kind of clever. Like, I didn't... It was almost like they had to have that be satisfying because the lack of explanation about the string mm-hmm. wasn't. But I also see your point about it being too cutesy, and I, I kind of get that as well. It does feel very, like, kind of, like you said, like, Disney-y to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It felt Which, very moralistic of like, this right. bad thing happened, but we all learned to see the best in it. Yes. And this is this is kind of my main criticism of the book is that it felt like reading that verbatim at some points where I was like, why couldn't I just get one person's really deep experience with all of this, their history, like a more layered interpretation of all of this that's not so like, and here's the meaning of life. Did you like this book more or less or the same reading it a second time than you did the first when everything was a surprise? Uh, less because the first thing I thought was, oh, I forgot that this was third person <laughs> and I wish that it wasn't. <laughs> Do you think this would make as good of a TV show as I think it would? <laughs> this is my main question for you. Yes and no. I do think it would make a really good TV show. I got to wonder how much room there is for this TV show after The Last of Us. Like, I think they're exploring somewhat similar things. Obviously, that one's a little bit different because of the zombie-ish aspect to it. But I think they're asking really similar questions. So I I don't know. I think it would be – I don't know how well it would do right now. Mm. How do you feel? I think it would – probably do well I don't know I think it would depend how they did it if they made it as like cutesy and all tied together I don't think it would be as impactful but the thing about the last of us that works so well is that it's so dark (laughs) so I think if they skewed it super dark it would it would work very well well the good news is is that it has been picked up by the Obama's production company so oh wow well there we go sounds like something's happening we, we also have a listener voicemail with an idea of how to adapt it. 
Hi, Becca and Olivia. This was my favorite book I read last year, so I'm so glad it was chosen for this month's book club. I'm not one to like book to movie or TV series adaptations, but after I read this one and loved it, it felt like it would be such a good TV series if it was done right. Maybe like an Apple TV show. I could like see it as such a great sci-fi drama. Just that opening shot of all the people walking to their boxes on the front step and then following the main characters and then wrestling with what to do. The short string group was just so compelling. It would make really good TV. I'd love a season two or like a book two exploring more how the other countries handled their boxes more and just how much it affects the country relations to one another. It could really turn into even more of like a global relations issue. I really wish my book club would have read this one because I found myself super like nerding out over all the what ifs and the scientific thoughts behind a lot of the scenarios that were going on. So uh, thanks for listening to my ramblings. Uh, I just love you two so much. Okay, I actually think this could be very interesting to have each season set in a different country and to see how the reaction varies to it globally. I oh, I didn't yeah, realize yeah, that that definitely. was missing from this book, but I think, yeah, that could be really, really interesting seeing, you know, especially like, for instance, in a more religious country, how it was dealt with versus in the United States or, I don't know, like... You could also just like invent weird effects that it had in some countries and not all. An economic crash in one country or something. I don't know. Yeah, I really, I think it was they said North Korea forced people to turn in their strings. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that would, that would all be interesting and totally agree. I think that would be really interesting. Or, you know, on the flip side, you can do different seasons and like in one season you can focus on love and one you could focus on politics and then have almost like, vignette episodes kind of like The Last of Us where, you know, in the love season, it told like 10 different love stories or, you know, I don't know, globally to have like a global perspective from each within each season. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways they could like be creative with it. So I, I will tune in whenever this okay. is. I'm still waiting for the Project Hail Mary adaptation. <laughs> if Barry and Michelle are making it, I'm watching it. It's got to be good. Do you have any recommendations if somebody liked this book? What other books you'd recommend to them? I don't think so because I I read a lot of sort of slightly dystopian books like this kind of was to me, but they're all very dark and this is not dark. I mean, you'd think it would be, but I nothing comes yeah. to mind immediately. What about you? There are two things that I think are very imperfect parallels, but I'll I'll say them just in case. I mean, the first is Project Hail Mary, I think, is an interesting exploration of what if the circumstances in the world changed. It evaluates a very different piece of it from the perspective of the person who's trying to save the world. But I think it looks at some of the same questions. And then the other one, the fate versus free will of it all, of like, were you like, can you change your fate? I kept thinking of In Five Years by Rebecca Searle, which I think is a really interesting exploration of fate versus free will. Hmm, good picks. I don't, but and I very don't think... different, which is funny. <laughs> I know. I don't think any of them are like, you'll definitely like those if you liked this. They're like definitely a little more sideways comps. Okay, let's move on to obsessions. Yes. What are you obsessed with this week? I have two food obsessions specifically together that I'm very obsessed with right now. I am in a golden era of Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's in the city is like such a mob scene. And we just got one in Williamsburg and it, it does tend to be pretty uncrowded. So I've been having a Trader Joe's renaissance. And I can't defend this choice, but one of the things that I love from Trader Joe's is their pastry pups, which are pigs in a blanket. Oh, I was like, what is a pastry pup? Yeah, I think hot dogs are disgusting. But for some reason, when you miniaturize them, I am all about it. <laughs> like if you were like, would you like a hot dog, Becca? I would be like, no, thank you. I don't eat hot dogs. But you're like, would you like a pig in a blanket? I'm like, I'll have 17. Do you mean a pastry pup? <laughs> a pastry pup. They're like in croissant dough. It's so good. Oh, yum. I actually it's love a hot so dog. It's good. I... Every time I go, I'm like, well, I got to get some pastry pups. So um, I'm really obsessed with uh, pastry pups. And then May, the fancy mustard brand, it's spelled M-A-I-L-L-E. They have a 
collab, I guess one would say, with Mike's Hot Honey. And so they have hot honey mustard, but it's like the fancy, really tangy Dijon mustard. Oh, my God. It's so good. That just made me so hungry. It's so good. That is not a Trader Joe's thing. I get it at Whole Foods. I'm sure you could find it on Amazon. Yum. Sounds like a great snack. Oh, yeah. The pastry pup, Mike's hot honey mustard, dipping combo. Unbeatable. Yum. Can you compete with this? What did you bring? Mine is much more boring. I am obsessed with Essence, the makeup brand, their brow gel. It's called Make Me Brow. I've been on like a brow gel mission for the last year. I've tried four different ones. Uh, And this is the best one I found. And I think it's like, I'm going to Google this, but I think it's like $5. Wow. Where do you get Um, it? Online? I got it at Target. They have it online. It's, oh, even better. It is $3.99. It's $3.99 and it has four and a half stars on Ulta and more than 3,000 reviews. So I guess I'm not the only one who likes it. Okay. What about reading? What have you been reading this week? I finished The Hunter by Jennifer Herrera this week. This is like a police procedural. A woman goes back to her hometown to investigate a crime. She's she's a detective who's suspended from the NYPD. And if you're into police procedurals, I think this one is really interesting and it had a lot more depth and it was really spooky in different parts and pretty scary too. And uh, yeah, it was a fun read. Is it out already? Yes, it's out right now. Okay. What have you been reading this week? So I read this book. And then I also read Adelaide by Genevieve Wheeler, which comes out April 18th. Olivia, this book blew me away. It blew me away. It is so good. It's about an American woman who goes to London for grad school and she falls in love with this guy who she's completely in love with. And he just, like, doesn't quite love her enough. So they're in, like, kind of a a, a situationship, like, kind of a semi-relationship. Um, it, it's a very dark romance book with a lot of mental health themes. I would comp it to Tell Me Lies by Carola Lovering meets Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. The writing in this book blew me away. I I think this book is going to be huge. It does have a lot of mental health triggers, so uh, definitely look up the trigger warnings for this one if you are concerned. Again, it's Adelaide by Genevieve Wheeler, and it's out April 18th. I just Googled the cover, and I'm seeing a lot of comparisons to normal people. I can see that. I think it's a little more basic than normal people, which is actually good because I think it makes it more accessible. Yeah. Okay. I'll check that out. Yeah, I had it in my head that it was a rom-com, so I don't remember if it's because of the cover copy or not, but it's definitely not a rom-com. So, you know, go in with the right expectations. Proceed with caution. Yeah. Um, Should we tell people our April book club pick? Yes. Okay. Our April book club pick is Before We Were Innocent by Ella Berman, and it comes out April 4th. So a couple days wait. I'm really excited about this book. It's told in two timelines. In the first timeline, it's about uh, three girls who go on a high school graduation trip to an island in Greece. During that summer, one of them dies. And uh, then the second timeline is 10 years later. The two surviving girls have kind of dealt with the media fallout that happened after their friend's death in very different ways. And uh, they are brought back together when one of their partners goes missing. And it's not quite a thriller. I guess I'd call it suspense It's not scary at all. It deals a lot with, I would say the two main themes are complex female friendships, the role of true crime on the people who it profiles. So it's, it's definitely about a very media heavy story and like what impact that had on the people the story was about and like how they got them wrong and like what that did to their lives. This sounds so good. And you've been talking about how good it is for a while now. So I'm very excited to dive in. It's right behind me on my pile of books. And uh, I think this is going to be good. Yeah, I think this is in our Venn diagram. I know Grace also loved it and raved about it. So I feel like this is a little dark 
and has some thriller aspects, but is still, I think, because of the female friendship and because of the media angle, fits in my side of the Venn diagram, too. So I'm excited. Looking forward to it. I can't believe, like, we're already in April, by the way. I was like, April book club? Crazy. I know. Anyway, I'm excited. Take us out, Olivia. All right. Well, you can join us in the Facebook group, Bad on Paper Podcast, or on our Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm at Olivia Mentor. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And that's all. See you next week. Bye. Bye.